Welcome to session 36 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 5th of February. Today we'll be looking at Leviticus 19 to 20 and Psalm 36. So far in Leviticus, we've read through the intricate guide to ritual sacrifices, covering burnt, grain, peace and sin offerings. Each type served a distinct role, from voluntary commitment to dealing with unintentional sins. We then read about the ordination of priests, they were marked by cleansing, dressing and anointing, underscoring their sacred duty. However, Aaron's sons ignored God's commands and did their own thing. This led to their death. The focus then shifted to ritual purity. We read through dietary laws and practices around childbirth, skin diseases and mould. These rules are less about health and more about maintaining spiritual and physical cleanliness before God. After that, we read about the Day of Atonement. This introduced a comprehensive annual sacrifice to cover all unintentional sins. The high priest cleansed himself, the sanctuary, and the people using the blood of a goat. He then took all the sins of the people and placed them on a second goat. This second goat, loaded up with the toxic waste of a nation's sins, was then sent into the chaotic wilderness. From there, we transitioned into strict guidelines on sexual relations. These laws aimed to preserve family structures, crucial for the Israelites' identity and growth as a nation. These rules were a warning not to live in the same way that Egypt or Canaan do, but to live in a way that leads to their flourishing. So let's jump in with today's reading, Leviticus 19 to 20. This passage is sometimes known as the Holiness Code. We can see this because it starts and ends with a call from God to be holy because he is holy. In between, we get a list of rules and instructions, most of which we've seen before. The lesson to be learned is in order to be holy, to share in God's presence, we need to be obedient to what he says. This is separate but also deeply linked with being clean and pure before God. As Christians, we can be made clean and pure because of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection. But if we continue to choose to be disobedient, we will never enjoy God's presence. Spread within these rules that God lists through again are the Ten Commandments. Jesus summed up these in two parts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. That's Matthew 22, verses 37 and 39. We see this idea already coming through here. We start with a block of rules concerning our relationship with God, followed by a block of rules concerning our relationship with others. After that, we read God saying, you shall keep my statutes, followed by a whole collection of different rules. These range from how to treat your cattle and your fruit-bearing trees, to avoiding fortune tellers, mediums and necromancers, to respecting the elderly and the foreigners, just to name a few. Most of these are repeats of what we've seen already. This time, the focus is on obedience to be holy as well as to be clean. In Leviticus 20, we get another long section on child sacrifice and sexual immorality. This is very similar to Leviticus 18, and the reasons are the same, to maintain and to grow the family. The fact that they are given another big section here shows how important it is to keep sex in its right place. In the New Testament, Paul will say, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. That's 1 Corinthians 6.18. The message God wants to drill into his people is sex is powerful and dangerous and needs to be treated with respect and used properly. Then, as mentioned, God rounds it off with another call to be holy. If you obey my laws, if you refuse to live like everyone else, but stick with my ways, if you keep yourself clean, then you'll be holy like me. 
then you can enjoy my presence. So that's Leviticus 19 to 20. And then let's jump in with Psalm 36. This psalm is attributed to King David and is often placed in the category of lament psalms, but this is loose and tentative. It's based on verse 11, where the psalmist finally makes a request for protection. This would suggest that they are going through struggles, but that's the extent that this psalm reflects a lament psalm. As we'll see, this psalm is actually a wisdom psalm blended with a prayer psalm. It speaks of the wisdom of God's order and then invites that order down to earth. Here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly for yourself. And so we start with verses one to four, the folly of the wicked, followed by verses five to nine, the steadfast love of God. From there we get verse 10, let your steadfast continue, and then verses 11 to 12, let the wicked fall. The first section looks like a wisdom psalm, teaching on the foolishness of the wicked. They fear God and have no integrity. They flatter but speak deceitfully. They have stopped choosing wisdom and instead have set themselves down a path where they no longer reject evil. Typically, a wisdom psalm would contrast this first section with a section on those who are righteous. But instead of focusing on humans who are righteous, the psalmist compares the wicked with God's righteousness and steadfast love. God's faithfulness and love are never-ending. They are precious, protecting God's people from wickedness and sustaining them. God is the source of all life. It's at this point the psalm switches into a prayer psalm. Motivated by the wisdom of God's love, the psalmist asks for more of God's love. May it continue. Then, motivated by the folly of the wicked, the psalmist asks that God deal with them. May their wickedness fall and they lay fallen defeated by God. In this psalm, we see that the foolishness of the wicked comes from their rejection of God's faithfulness and love. God's love is sustaining. We also see how wisdom, in our case, theology, isn't meant to just be head knowledge, but it is to lead us to prayer. 